Welcome to Obey Your Strengths with Gallup Certified Strengths Coach and Self-Proclaimed Strengths Geek, Kathy Kirsten. Hey there, Strengths fans. The episode that you are about to hear features one of my favorite leaders, Lanham Napier. He was the CEO of Rackspace um, until he left a few years ago and has started his own business. Now he's the co-founder and CEO of The Build Group. And he is an epic leader. Not only is he wicked smart, actually, I'd put him in the brilliant category. He's also one of those charismatic leaders who has created a following that people will run through walls to get things done for him. You're going to experience in this interview his humility, his uh, wisdom around business and how to run a business, how to build a business. And most of all, he's just a ball of energy. And so you'll get to hear his uh, a little bit of his Texas <laughs> twang, just like mine. And um, you'll see in this in this interview why he creates really high employee engagement and, and loyalty among his work his workforces. Uh, you'll also hear a little bit of an aha moment that I had during our interview that helped me connect to the why of what I do. There is a part where Lanham describes what we were building when it came to the culture of Rackspace. And it really um, connected so deeply to my core that it, it kind of brought clarity for me. It was a great moment. So ladies and gentlemen, the Lanham Napier interview. Hi there, Strengths fans. Kathy Kirsten here. Excited today about my guest on the Obey Your Strengths podcast, Mr. Lanham Napier. Lanham, how are you today? I'm fantastic, Strengths fans. Great to be here with you. <laughs> for those of you who aren't familiar with Lanham, many of you are. He is the former CEO of Rackspace Hosting, and he's now the current founder and CEO of The Build Group. And I invited Lanham here today because we have um, a lot of shared stories that have to do not only with strengths, but also with culture. And I and since Rackspace is in our history, Lanham, I totally want to get into the nitty gritty of some, some of the stories that we shared and some of the experiences we shared and share your wisdom that you had given me through my years at the Rack uh, with the rest of my audience. So um, I would like to start out where I start out every podcast, Lanham, with, with your top five strengths. So I understand your top five strengths are achiever, futuristic, focus, self-assurance, and learner. Super powerful combo. Tell me what about one or two of your favorite strengths and kind of what you feel like they bring to the table for you. <laughs> okay. So uh, first of all, it's awesome to be with you, Kathy. I think I don't know if I have a favorite of my top five. I mean, I, as you say, I think they're a cool combo. All right. But, you know, I really have nothing to do with that. It's just how I came out of the womb. All right. So basically the stuff I enjoy, look, I do enjoy learner. I'm a nerd. I like to read stuff. I like to learn new stuff. Many things I learn aren't very pragmatic, but I enjoy them nonetheless. Okay. I appreciate futuristic because I'm a dreamer. You know, so I think about things that I would love to have happen 10 years from now. They may or may not happen, right? And then I'm grateful that I have focus and achiever. That way I actually get something done. Otherwise, 
I would read all sorts of you know interesting things and dream about futures that may or may not happen. And I would spend my whole life doing that, right? So the achiever focus is a blessing for me because I actually make progress. Oh, Slanum, I have imagery in my mind of all of these top five plus more of you in the seven years that I got to work with you at Rackspace. Uh, what surprises me that's not in your top five, it has to be in the top 10. Where is Activator? Is yeah, it in your top 10? It is. It is. I think it was like number eight. It, it felt like at times it was it was probably in your top one or two. <laughs> yeah, it probably comes in top point one. You know, it's like right there after zero. <laughs> so true. Well, but there's yeah. a lot of wisdom to, to share with, you know, CEOs and their strengths. Uh, if you can understand how a person, how a person processes and the pace they want to work at, it tells you a lot. And, and Lanham, you work really fast. I remember getting phone calls from you and you'd ask me something and then want it the very next day. Not not like a report or an analytics, but just, I mean, like, have you started that program yet, Kathy? Nope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Activator. Uh, but it does not surprise me at all that futuristic is in your top uh, strengths because you really did paint a, a picture for us to follow as Rackers. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit further on. But before we do, I would love to know what your perspective was from the CEO seat at Rackspace as we went through accelerated growth, IPO, what happened uh, in, the, in the following years after IPO. You know, tell us a little story about what it was like um, leading our culture through that. Well, um, First of all, I would just say it was an amazing blessing. Okay. I mean, because the, the thing that was just so tremendous, you know, for me and the role I got to play in that it was okay. Every day I got to go to work and I did basically work every day, you know, um, I got to work. Achiever. With people, yeah. yeah, achiever. I got to work with people I cared about. I got to do it in a way that I felt uplifted others and gave them a shot at, you know, having a great life. And so I, you know, I, I, for me to have, you know, to get to be a leader in an environment like that, I mean, that's kind of like my best life, frankly. You know, it's it's how can we how can we all have a career or work where we're helping folks, where we're helping people be at their best, where we're creating things and outcomes for customers that can potentially transform their life. You know, so I sort of feel like for me, the the perspective of Rackspace. And what I am so grateful for that experience is just how, man, when you get it right, humans are these amazing little critters. And I thought rackers were some of the best of those amazing critters, you know, that basically you understand what people are good at, create the conditions for them to do their best work. You know, that has to be an intrinsic thing. It's got to come from the individual. You know, I can't mandate great performance out of people. They got to want to do it. Uh, and when we can get all that aligned, you know, people can do amazing things. And I believe that wholeheartedly, um, you know, I've got belief in my top five, Lanham. I don't know if you knew that, <laughs> but as the leader of Racker Engagement, I kind of, it's just coming to me right now, actually, to realize like how often you said that, how much I bought into that and that it was an ideal that I wanted to live up to. And so, and that I thought we all should live up to. So I really felt like that was our calling. Um, you expressed it so clearly 
Like we're all special, right? And then we're going to work together to do something really special. And that was the opportunity I truly felt like I had at Rackspace. Uh, what was it like about this, I mean, managing this culture? So if we, we could hire great talent, we could give them the circumstances most of the time to help bring that talent to bear and be productive and work on exciting stuff. But man, we were growing really fast. Um, what was running through your mind and what concerns or what kept you up at night during that really accelerated growth time period? Well, I, you know, first is, man, please, God, help me not to screw this up. You know, it's just like, this is all going pretty well. And I am uniquely positioned to totally screw it up. <laughs> you know, so like, please help me not screw it up. All right. That was one thing that went through my mind regularly. All right. You know, another thing is just, I mean, I think for people, um, building a company is just a human performance event. You know, so it's about how collectively can these humans do this. And man, it's, it's hard, right? It's, it's draining. It requires a ton of energy, requires some luck, right? There are things that are not controllable that can go either way. Um, so the stuff that I, that kept me up at night, number one was just the strain individually and the strain collectively of pulling that off. And as the stakes compounded a little bit larger every minute, right? I mean, I took that seriously, you know, I, I, I took the responsibility seriously for our customers, for rackers, for shareholders, for neighbors. I mean, it was a, it was a real deal, you know? Um, and so figuring out how to manage that and then figuring out how to help people discover that what God is here isn't going to get us there. And it's okay to break from the past. It's called progress, you know? So that was another thing that I think was an interesting observation just because people wanted to romanticize and create nostalgia around what was. And yeah, like, so to me, it's no different than my marriage. So my wife and I just celebrated her. We're going to be 27 years next summer together. Okay. And so every now and then we'll talk, Oh, it was so great. You know, back in the late nineties being married. And then I'm also like, you know what, what really sucked about that is we had like no savings account. I mean, that kind of sucked, right? When the car broke down, it's like, Holy crap, what do we do now? You know? So I, so I think building a culture is the same way. I think it's great to romanticize about what was, I think it's better to embrace what will be. And, you know, that, I think that's part of the leader's job. It's like, look, we need to celebrate our past achievements, but at the same time, we got to be a little paranoid to make sure we get some ones in the future. You know? So, so that's sort of my perspective as I look back on that. It's this amazing, I think being CEO of a high growth company is this amazing, full of amazing dualities. Right. It's sort of this yin and yang kind of thing. You know, you're scared. At least for me, I was scared most of the time, but had to project confidence. Right. You know, I went to fancy schools, but hell, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was making that crap up every day. Right. Everybody does. Everybody makes it up every day. I don't care how sophisticated they are. They're all, I mean, by definition, progress means you're working on a new problem. You know, we're going to bring some experience to that problem. We're going to bring some methodology to it, but it's by definition a new problem. You know, so you got to kind of make it up. You know, so, so anyway, so all that was a thrill. I love that you call this, you know, business as a human performance event. Not many tech leaders 
think in those terms. I have to say from my own experience of working with leaders from a bunch of different industries, I mean, that's a pretty unique view, Lanham, uh, but it makes sense. It makes total sense to me. I wish more people would know it. I wish more people would would think about it. And I can think of specific examples. So if we were to not to romanticize, because I would say it was probably where we we stumbled too much. But gosh, when we were trying to scale and do process improvement, that was a human performance uh, event that probably didn't go smoothly because humans were not bought into it. While they were bought into you, they weren't bought into other leaders that were pushing for it. And didn't understand uh, the value of it necessarily because they couldn't see it. Maybe I don't know if I'm even summarizing that event from my seat um, <laughs> the way you saw it. And I'm talking like 2007 time period, 2008. Yeah. But man, we just needed people to buy in. Yeah. And and there were times where like mules with their feet in the ground or donkeys with their feet in the ground, like I'm not going. That was what some major opinion leaders across the culture we're sitting at. And you had to bust through that. You had to, and you know, there were some leaders that kind of didn't survive through that, (laughs) through that transition. It was painful. It wasn't, let's not romanticize it. It was painful. Yes. I just think that's the nature of growth. You know, it's, it's just hard. And it's, um, I think if you look at growth in any context, it's this amazing reward and also difficult weather. So, so I'm out here at my ranch today. I mean, look, I'm a total nerd. I actually look out at that brush and I, I see growth dilemmas. You know, I see this competition of different uh, species of plants. You know, I mean, I, that's fascinating to me. Right. And it's the same thing, you know, inside of companies. Right. It's the same thing. There's competition inside of companies. There's competition between companies. There's competition between countries. There's competition between people, you know, and and to me, the thing about obeying your strengths is in order for us to grow and thrive in these competitive aspects, we better play to our strengths or else we don't have a chance. I I couldn't agree more. No, I mean, look, I look out my window, I see a mesquite tree, mesquite tree, incredibly drought tolerant, right? A fast grower. It's got real relative strength here in South Texas. Right. Then I look at that oak. I mean, that oak better get its tap roots into that groundwater, into the river gravel, or it's going to perish. But once it's got those roots, nothing can grow under it. You know, so that's its competitive advantage. So it's very interesting to me to look about how, I mean, I look at these different trees. They play to their strengths. They totally do. And if they don't play their strength, they don't survive. Just how it goes out here in South Texas. Oh my gosh, Lana, let's write a book. I'm a massive gardener. <laughs> let's talk all about pruning and we'll put it all into leadership context. Uh, let's talk about competitive. <laughs> let's talk about competitive advantage. Yep. One of the competitive advantages you had was a high level of trust among the Racker family. So yep. When you were in senior leadership, you know, I I got to see the back data on all of the engagement surveys and we could see trends through the years where Rackers would have a high amount of trust in senior leadership, but maybe it was a next down level, like a skip level down or above them, right from the front line, that director level or maybe even VP level where they didn't trust as much. You know, trust increases speed and efficiency at our workplaces, right? it's super important that leaders have the trust of their people. 
And I think that listeners can also see already that you kind of share this humility, you have this humility about you that you've even exhibited in my podcast today. But what other kind of things did you do? Or, you know, what are you self-aware of about your own strengths that help keep that trust of Rackers, of employees? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, okay. I think that's a very, um, very important question. Okay, so, you know, uh, if one starts with a belief that people are precious and talented, and if one believes that trust is this accelerant, which I think it is an accelerant, I mean, to me, the only way I know to create trust is it just has to be earned. And part of creating trust is one has to be, at least in my experience, I just have to be consistent. Okay. It's like, you know, if you can, if I'm the same dude, right, and I behave the same way and I'm transparent and open about it, you will trust me to complete a sentence a certain way, or you'll trust me to see an opportunity a certain way. And so I kind of feel like, you know, uh, as you can start to anticipate how I think or how, how I believe you think, you know, there's a whole lot of trust going on right there. You know, and so it's like, look, you know, so back to my marriage, you know, 26 years into this sucker, man, I totally know what the boss is going to tell me right before she smacks me. I totally get it. I know when I screw the pooch. I know when she's upset with me. I know when I messed up. I know exactly what she's going to do. That is, to me, those are all interesting little characteristics of trust. And then the question is, well, you know, how to have that in relationships at work. Okay. And, and I just think it's, you know, we've got to be transparent. We've got to be vulnerable. We've got to communicate. And then the more consistency we have around that, the faster trust will happen. As an employee who listened, you know, that, that listened to you and watched you and followed you, I can tell you that there's another aspect to that. Of course, the consistency is absolutely necessary for baseline trust, but I would have to say you were right a lot. Like your, your predictions. I recall working in a broken down chair. <laughs> Lots of my teammates were on folding tables. I had a, I was lucky to have a cube, um, probably 2006-ish. And you said, guys, in 2010, we're going to be a billion-dollar company. But right now, we got to stay at La Quinta's and fly Southwest. So don't let me see you stayed at the Ritz. <laughs> <laughs> visiting customers. Did I really say that? <laughs> you totally said that. Sounds like me. Yeah, so enjoy that broken chair. Maybe bring in a whoopee cushion from home. <laughs> I didn't care. My heart was full working there. My heart was full, right? So results over flash. I believed in the core value of results over flash, but I couldn't believe that we were staying at La Quinta's and flying Southwest only and that we would be a, a, a you know, a billion dollar company. I, I just couldn't see it. And I, and I don't know, cause I'm not a financial person, right? I was in HR, but we were pretty, pro we're probably pretty close to that in no. 2010 where we landed. I don't know. We were, no, we made it. We so, should, we should have made it in 09, but what happened, you know, that little financial crisis slowed us down a little bit, Mama. So we had to mm -hmm. had to kind of, you know, take a step back before we could move forward. But it was a good time to be. I mean, even there we I mean, during that financial crisis, um 
it was tough, but we felt like we were working towards something because we were following your lead and you kept, you were leading by example. That's, but you were right about lots of your predictions. That's what I want to say. Yeah. And um, you told a story in a way that was easy for all of us to understand because you were working. I think one challenge that maybe you had in San Antonio, Texas, that not other um, tech leaders have that maybe work in on the West Coast is that we were sort of in an island not around anybody that's doing similar work as we were. You know, we weren't going to have happy hour drinks with people from Yahoo, Google, Amazon. You know, like we were sort of insulated here in San Antonio, Texas. And I have to tell you, like, you, y'all kind of, y'all, you got, I don't even know how to say that. Y'all, the leadership, I mean, as soon as you started bringing more people in that actually knew what was going on, they were, we could see how, wow, they're predicting what we're going to, what's happening to us too. So it was just, I don't know. I have to share that with you. Like, because there were so many homegrown leaders from San Antonio who had never experienced yeah. it was growing really cool, up a right? tech company. That's super cool. Well, it was cool. And I, 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 I can't wait after our podcast. I'll tell you everybody I've gotten to work with since then <laughs> that are trying to do the strength thing. So it's awesome, Lanham. Uh, let's do some, one of my favorite topics. One of my favorite um, Lanham stories is about something else you said to me one time, actually to a lot of leaders, um, about culture rejection, mm-hmm. culture organ rejection. Explain to me, do you remember that? I do, Yes. So we were hiring for my boss, I believe the SVP of HR one time. And I remember you, uh, you and I debriefing, maybe perhaps other records were in the room and you, uh, but I, for some reason, remember it was just me and you, I don't know. Uh, and you said, look, Kathy, I told him, if you're not right, for, you know, I think you might be right for us, but if you're not right for, um, if you see that we're not right for you, you it's best that you know that before you get involved, because there's a thing here called cultural organ rejection. Yeah. <laughs> Explain it. Well, I just think that um, high performance cultures are thick and they protect themselves, you know? And so particularly when a company has a high performance culture and hires in a new leader, if that new leader isn't the right fit, I think antibodies form and reject that leader. Hence the organ rejection metaphor, <laughs> you know? So, so my take on it's just uh, hiring a new leader into a high performance culture, I think is one of the h- hardest hiring tasks. You know, hiring a new leader into, into a low performance culture, I mean, I think that's a lot easier because, you know, even the leader doesn't have to be a superstar. If they're just pretty darn good, it's an improvement. So therefore they will be able to create belief and, with belief will come followership. You know, I think if you already have a high performance culture, man, that bar is pretty darn high. And when it's a high bar, you know, uh, it's hard for that new leader to come in and show up and create belief. And so that's why, you know, remember we used to do all that detox stuff, but after I screwed up a couple of senior leadership decisions and the antibodies formed and rejected the organ, I thought to myself, well, crap, you know, Clearly, I sort of suck at this. So let's figure out what's going on. And I think part of what was going on is that, you know, these the new leader shows up and they want to be important. They want to add value. They want to show you how smart they are, you know, because they're feeling nervous as all get out. So we just needed to give everybody a little bit of a break, run them through a cultural detox so we could, you know, purge them 
of you know their insecurities to some extent and indoctrinate them and train them into the culture we had at Rackspace. And that just created more pull and more success. Now, I don't know. I'd be curious what the data were. You know, we weren't perfect by any means, but I do feel like after we appreciated the detox thing for senior leaders, we got better at, you know, bringing them in. I think it was because they were expected to attend and it gave them a chance to take a breather. I mean, if Lanham Napier has achiever focus, activator not too far down the line, right? You come in and you give energy, jolts of energy, and we want to achieve. Now, I'm not blaming you at all, right? But I can see how it. we want to move fast, right? I hope you're following my thinking here that if Lanham calls you up to, to bat, you want to get there and you want to hit a yeah. home run. So if, if Lanham has called you and he's energized you towards solving our scaling issue or solving the new, uh, you know, panel, dashboard, whatever we were doing <laughs> that you would hire people for, they wanted to do it pretty quickly. And having this moment, this detox moment, uh, and by the way, what Lanham's referring to was a onboarding program that we built for directors and above. And it was a mandatory. So they had to come in for one week. I mean, I think some... <laughs> Some of those executives said, I have to do this for a week. But yes, you do. And they would come and they would sit in the class. And I got to build that program for us and kind of lead it in the first few months of it before I left Rackspace. And we would talk about strengths all day long until it became a part of the, their vocabulary. We would talk about um, the cultural do's and don'ts because, man, we had, we'd even tell stories about executives that came in and, and had the organ rejection happen to them, or they just had really big missteps, and we but they maybe survived. So we would invite yeah. those people to come in and, and tell lessons learned. Uh, we had we made them understand the importance of the work hard, play hard culture and made them do silly, like, well, it was a little bit silly, but some fun events, but the whole purpose of it, and we would give them, of course, access to the entire senior leadership team. The whole purpose of it was to help them be more successful, build their first 90 day plan and focus on relationship building. We hired them for their skills, but man, we needed them to, to uh, be focused on relationship building because it is a human performance event, like you said earlier, and we need them to, to step up. But those are great memories. I love that, Lanham. I love that that you remembered all that. Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget culture organ rejection. No, but that's a good way to frame it, though. The the is giving new leaders an ability to jumpstart the relationship building. That's a cool way to put it, right? Because you know, you show up, you don't know that many people. Yeah, how are you? Are you just going to grope around blindly in the org, or do you have a chance to create some relationships where people can give you a little nudge and pull you along? That's an interesting way to think about it, you know, just how to um, how to give new leaders a little bit of an edge by having them show up somewhat networked into a company by giving them a, the first week. Hey, we're going to help you build a bunch of relationships in this place and help you get over yourself and help you, you know, understand what it means to work here. Right. And in the early days when we had, we were hiring fewer executives and we had the time and we were a smaller company, we would do some of that reverse mentorship. Um, I was always an account manager in that my first two years at Rackspace when I was an account manager, I would always have a new executive come and sit and listen to my phone calls for an hour. And I would tell them about my job and what I did. Um, I remember Troy Toman was my first executive and I was nervous because he was coming to sit with me and he ended up being the coolest dude ever. And from then on, I mean, 
mean, I, he saw me in the halls. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. It was like a plug for my career. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like you got to slow down. We have to, you have to slow executives. You have to slow down and make relationships. Okay. Uh, let's talk about, let's talk about your new gig. Let's talk about build group. And um, I want to do it kind of as a transition question. I can imagine Lanham that the companies that you're investing in with build group, you are uh investing so much wisdom and creating moments that pivot their careers, maybe even the trajectory of their business, because that's what I know you do for people. I have a personal example, um, just working with you. And now this is going to be fangirling, hopefully that you can handle this. I wish I could see your head. It might be turning red. Um, (laughs) So you were um, intimidating to me, but at the same time, you always left me a little bit of encouragement that said, believe in yourself, Kathy. And you did that because you would ask me what I think. So in hmm. ex- a simple example, after a round of doing the record pulse, which was the engagement survey, I might bring the data to you. You would have stayed up to midnight the night before reading through thousands of commentary, uh, you know, because you read every single open-ended comment any record made. I still can't believe you did that. And then we would sit together and say, what are we going to do about this? What's our plan? And you would tell me, but we, but we had to kind of debrief what we felt like the record temperature was. And you would look at me in the eye and say, well, what do you think, Kathy? And I'm looking at you like, I don't know, you have a Harvard MBA. <laughs> I mean, but then I would tell you what I thought, right? Because I did love and live and breathe all of it. So I would tell you what I thought and you would listen to me and you'd say, and then what do you think we should do? And I would tell you, but then, so anyway, Having that experience with you, Lanham, paid off years down the road whenever I began this consulting gig. And then someone would call me uh, and say, come work with my team. And I'd find myself in some kind of high rise in a big city. And I would start getting kind of nervous. Like, what do I, maybe it's imposter syndrome. Like, what am I doing here? What could I tell them that they don't know about themselves? Um, how does my strengths coaching add anything to this team that's obviously successful? You know, all these little gremlins in your head talking. And the way I got through it, Lanham Napier, was I would go, but wait, Lanham used to ask me. And so I would picture like if Lanham asked me and Lanham believed in me, then I can do it myself. Now, I think that that is a gift that any leader can give any young professional that is like hungry to do the job and hungry to do hard work. But that I believe in you like was a little bit of a thing, a gift that just kept on paying over and over and over. And that would calm my nerves. That would put me in my Lanham like mindset. Like I'm coming in with the action items. I'm going to tell you what to do. And I kind of showed up more boldly because that's what I was used to doing with you. Oh, so, cool. Hey, first of all, thank you for sharing that. That makes my day. That's really cool. You're welcome. <laughs> but I know I've asked you about this before. You said it's about creating moments. So I'm thinking about how creating moments with you and people that build in a seat, the younger, or maybe not so young CEOs of uh, the the people you're investing in through build group. And maybe you want to say what build group does. And and this is a good time to plug that. Okay. Yeah, sure. So, so at build group, when I left Rackspace, uh, you know, five years ago, there are a couple of problems I want to go to work on. One was I just want to our capital markets to have longer term capital in it. Okay, so when we were building Rackspace, man, we had great investors. It's just the whole time I felt like the investors were in a hurry to cash in their chips. Okay, and that used to drive me bananas, um, you know, and, and, and I understand that short-term focus is good in some instances, 
I just want companies to at least have one investor in there that's willing to go the distance. Okay, so Bill Group's about going the distance. Now, the, dist- the race is over when the CEO says it's over. Information's asymmetric. That CEO will always know more about that company than I ever will. When that person says, hey, dude, time to exit, turns out it's time to exit, right? So, so it's not a forever thing. It's as long as the CEO wants to go thing. Okay, so, so that's what we're trying to provide. We're trying to provide patient capital with some operator experience, you know, some entrepreneurial scar tissue, so that when they call up and say, hey, Lanham, do I hire Kathy or Jane? I'll say Kathy. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Obey your strength. <laughs> All right. So I just think it's about how do we show up with, you know, a long-term perspective that's been through some entrepreneurial battles. You know, that's that's what we're looking to provide. And then along at some point, I'd love to turn that actually into software code because it's hard to scale myself, but I haven't figured out how to do that yet. So that's what we do. And and so you know, we want to invest between five and thirty million in a company. You know, it's all tech stuff because that's all we know anything about. And I think we're, you know, we've been fortunate to invest in some really cool people and some really cool companies. So that's my plug. Okay. So in this operator, you know, the the, the wisdom that you share, maybe some coaching that you're doing with these people. I mean, do you bring in the idea around human that success in business is a human performance event? Yes. So the way I started, uh, our methodology is typically I start with the CEO and I start with, okay, let's get really clear on what you're good at and what you're not good at. And most people don't know. And some people are quite resistant to discovering it. Okay. And then once we figure out what they're good at, and what they're not good at, then the next step, step is to start to design an organizational system around those strengths. Because the composition of the team around uh, that CEO should be different you know, based upon those CEO attributes. And I think the reality is, you know, the CEO needs to be, for lack of a better word, a little bit selfish about understanding what they're good at and bad at. And it's like, hey, home slice, this thing's only going to go as far as your leadership takes it. And your leadership's only going to take it as far as your senior leadership team takes it. You know, so it's kind of always kind of felt like CEO's jobs build the team, team builds the company. And so we got to get really clear on what the CEO's, you know, positive and negative attributes are. So we still use strengths thinking and all of that. And so the wisdom, you know, I'm not sure, look, I read Proverbs a lot. I'm not sure I've yet graduated wisdom. I still think I got more knowledge, okay, than I do wisdom. Uh, but I think one thing where we have some good judgment anyway, is just around, let's get really clear at a senior leadership team level, what people are good at and not good at. Let's figure out how to create a highly functional environment Look, highly functional environments are fragile. You know, they're here today and they break tomorrow. So they require continuous investment, right? And continuous reinforcement. So let's not take it for granted, you know, when we have one. Uh, and, and so we sort of start our work there. Because once you get that stuff going, everything else gets easier. Okay, this is my last question. Because <laughs> I know you got got to go. This year has sucked, Lanham. Yeah. 2020 has sucked. And I've been through sucky times um, following your leadership. You know, I've been through sucky times with you before. So what advice, what what is your futuristic seed that is a better vision for what we're currently in? And help me get there. (laughs) Okay. So here's why I'm an optimist. Okay. 
uh, most of the great leaders I admire in their lives went through tremendous suffering. Okay, so if you're religious, you could look at, you know, any of the apostles. If you're a civil rights leader, thoughtfully, you could think about Martin Luther King. If you're from India, you could think about Gandhi. If you're in China, you could think about the Dalai Lama. You know, in Africa, Desmond Tutu. You know, um, I just think there Nelson Mandela. You know, I, I think throughout history, you know, most of the people I really admired, they suffered a shit ton. And I think suffering is necessary for the vast, vast majority of humans to discover what really matters, what they're purpose built to do, and that through suffering, you know, we come out the other side of suffering stronger and more capable and more centered. All right. So what I really believe right now is at least the Western world, holy crap, do we have a lot of suffering going on? And that through this suffering is necessary for the next set of leaders to realize what's important, to discover where they are purpose-built and great, and then apply those talents going forward. So my prediction for you is eight years from now, you're going to see amazing leaders. They're just going to start to pop up. I couldn't tell you where the hell they're going to pop up from, right? They could pop up in Blanco, Texas, right? They could pop up in South Dakota. I don't know where they're coming from, all right? But I do have great confidence that coming out the other side of this, people are going to be more thoughtful. People are going to be more centered. People are going to understand what truly matters versus what's just superficial BS. Okay. And that the collective wisdom of humanity increases as a result. And we'll have these amazing leaders step up. I think all this is necessary to get to that. I'm going to re-listen to that multiple times my friend no it's, it's true right i want i do believe it i believe it i believe you no it's just how it goes i mean none of us are at our best till we suffer first uh, i know just thank you lanham it works all right thank you you're the best thank you all right well thank you lanham for your time today and um if you want to connect with lanham he's got a book called billionaire bust growing a tech company in Texas. He has a website, buildgroup.com. And of course, you know, you can follow him on LinkedIn. Lanham, it's been a pleasure. All right, take care, Kathy. Thank you for listening to Obey Your Strengths. To learn more about Kathy or hire her for your company or private coaching, visit obeyyourstrengths.com. You can also find her on Instagram at kathy.kirsten. Obey Your Strengths is produced by Kirsten Consulting, LLC, in association with Game Day Media out of San Antonio, Texas.